So 1 John 2, 28 through 3, 9. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, he shall be, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawless, lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Ooh. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, and the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. This is the word of the Lord. You can grab a seat. <laughs> this is your first time here. You came on Sin Sunday. Woohoo! All right. Welcome to Radiant. All right. It's been a while since we've been in our study of First John, but we're back, and we're back fully loaded this morning with these passages. If you haven't been with us uh, when we first started walking through First John, uh, but maybe you've read First John before, maybe you know at the start of the year you're like, I'm going to read a whole book of the Bible, and then you discovered First John. It's like, oh great, it's so short. I'm going to do this, and we actually love it. And it's easy to remember why we love First John. What we heard this morning, First John three one, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. 1 John 4.18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. 1 John's amazing. 1 John has the highest concentration of the word love anywhere else in the whole Bible. John is actually referred to in church history as the apostle of love. This is referred to, 1 John is referred to as the epistle of love of love over and over again. We heard it this morning in the text. We're called little children or beloved children. Such a tender tone in this book towards us. As we've been walking through First John, we also have discovered that there are other words that are highly concentrated, like antichrist. That shows up a lot in First John. Sin shows up a lot. Ten times this morning, in ten verses, we heard the word sin. John has some real tender things to say, and he also has some tough things to say. John's a good father, and he's a really good teacher. Just like any good father who doesn't love just through kind of hugs and a 
affectionate nicknames. He loves like Jesus loves. He loves with full of grace and loves with a love that's full of truth. This is John's posture. This is Jesus' posture towards us this morning. John's writing a church that is getting pummeled with twisted truths, twisted and watered-down half-truths of the gospel. And it's not coming just from, like, the news feeds. It's not coming from out there. It's coming from within here. There are false teachers and false doctrines being presented to the church. And John is addressing in his letter a slippery slope that he's spotted in the church in his day, and I would say is alive and well today. This is the slope that happens. We're deceived, then we deny, and then we depart. You hear a thought about God that sounds like really good, and it actually fits you a lot better. It's like, whoa, this is, hey, I like this. The only problem is it's not in the Bible. God never actually said it, but we like it more than what he has said. So we begin to believe it. We begin to rehearse it, and then we begin to build our life with it. But we're building on deception. We're building on a lie, which then will lead us to deny the truth that we know. You can't read the same Bible and hold on to those deceptions. It's just not congruent. It's not going to work. And so you only have one option at that point. You have to peace out. You have to leave. You can't not just leave like the church that you're a part of because they just don't get it. They're just not in with the right times. You just leave altogether the faith. It just makes no sense. You can't wear it. You can't follow it. You can't have anything to do with it. You don't recognize it anymore. And then you start a podcast about it. That's the other one that's not on there. John didn't know about that yet. John's not writing this letter to convince the people who have left. Hey, wait, wait, I got some things I want to remind you of. Nope. He's writing to those who have remained to strengthen them. Hold fast. Stay the course. This is John. John is encouraging believers towards right belief and right practice. It doesn't matter. John's not saying it's, it's, he's saying it's not enough just to know what's true. Like you can't, it doesn't matter if you just pass all of the Bible trivia quizzes that we, we, we would come upon. Doesn't matter. What matters ultimately is that you live in alignment with the truth that you know. You have to have both of these things, right belief, right practice. So John's a loving, corrective father, and he's also a straightforward repetitive teacher. we got some good teachers in here, in this family. Good teachers are really good at repackaging the same material. And then you just repeat it so it actually sinks in for your students. This is John. There's loads of repetition. It almost begins to feel like a Dr. Seuss book. Like, did we see this part? Did we read that part? Are we doing this again? Is that what he meant? Was that... John repeats over and over again, but he repeats what's on the test because he's looking for us to be confident and secure in this test. The tests that John gives are for us to know if we're legitimately following Christ. Do I, do I truly abide in him? Is he mine and am I his? 
Is this the real deal? Am I doing this thing? And he repackages the same three tests over and over and over again throughout his book. Glenn Power, another great teacher, he sums up the tests in 1 John in these three categories. Doctrine, obedience, and love. Glenn's going to be here in a few weeks. I'm very excited about that. How's your doctrine going? Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Not do you believe what you think he is? Do you believe what you hope he is? Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Is that your doctrine? How's that going? Do you do what Jesus commands? Not just have it memorized, not just have it on a sticky note in your bathroom, but do you live in that way? How's your obedience level? And do you sincerely love God? Which means you will sincerely love others around you. Is love supreme? So when you were recapping last year, like all the wins, was love at the top? I'm filled with more love at the end of 2023, and I'm looking to get more of that at the end of 2024. Is that your North Star? Is that your guiding light? Love is the crown. Today's test falls into the obedience category. This is a test of our integrity. Are you practicing righteousness or are you practicing sin? This is the way that John puts it. Are you living the way God calls you to live or are you living the way your flesh so badly wants to live? Are you living the way that the world is enticing you to live? There are two roads you can only walk down one road. Which road are you walking down? This is an honest day to kick the tires here. But before John jumps into the test, did you catch it? He wants to remind us who we are in Christ. 1 John 2, 28, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices has been born of him. Little children, into Larry, you've been born of him. This is the good news that we need to hear before we step into this classroom and step in to take this test this morning. Do you know that you know that you know that you've been born of God? John is reminding us that we are God's kids now, and it's not because you did well on a test. It's not because of anything that you've done. Your report card today does not make you more of God's kid. Don't be fooled. You don't get into God's family. You did not come into God's family by your performance, by you showing up to church this morning. That's not how you got into God's family. John, he writes about this in the Gospel of John. This is not a new concept of being born in him. John chapter 3, verse 3 in the Gospel of John, he records this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've seen this on The Chosen. Either way, it's really in the Bible. It's true. This happened. 
Nicodemus is a well-respected, high-ranking religious leader, and he comes to Jesus at night because he has some questions. You ever have questions for God late at night when nobody's around? Nicodemus comes to Jesus to ask him about this kingdom of God. John 3.3, this is what Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You have to be born into this kingdom of God. Nicodemus, for him, this was inconceivable. Inconceivable! This is, this is like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Because in religion, our assurance is based on our performance and behavior. But in the kingdom, apparently you just have to be born into it. He goes on. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus says, good question. This is legit. This is a very good question. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Also good point. Weird, but good point, Nicodemus. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water. This is your first birth. And the spirit. This is your second birth birth. This is the born again experience that John is recording. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, and I believe he would remind us again this morning, just like you didn't give birth to yourself into the family, that your physical family here on earth, you didn't do that. That's why we give our moms like flowers and cards on Mother's Day. You didn't do anything. Your birthday is more about them than you. You didn't do anything to get here. You just showed up and you just ate and pooped and everybody took care of you. It was awesome. There were a lot of people to thank. Just like you didn't do anything to get born into your physical family. You just showed up happy. This is the same thing. You can have assurance that you were born into God's family the same way. And we owe God much more than cards and flowers. We don't perform our way in to the kingdom. We're born into it. If you're here and you're in Christ, you did nothing except say yes and you were born again. This is it. And this leads John to a beautiful outburst. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love, like do you see what we're talking about that the Father's given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The NIV, I think, expands this language a little bit, and it's very helpful. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And to really kick it off, we've got to go to King James. In fact, we've got to have Fred read it, because you need somebody with girth like to do this, right? Fred, come on, give us the first John 3, 1, King James. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Amen. Yeah, come on, you feel that? Yeah. If you ever show up to prayer on Tuesday mornings, you know Fred's in the house. He prays in King James. It's amazing. <sighs> Stirring. This is what John's saying. He's stirred up right now. 
He doesn't want to talk to you about sin. He wants to talk to you about the great love. See it? Do you see it? It's not just like have you glanced at it recently. Behold, have you drunk this in? Have you paused at all today to ponder, to allow the shock and awe that this kind of love has come for you? Is this steering you forward today? This word, see, see what love. This Greek word is potopos, and it means what country, of what origin, what kind of love? This is like, so if you were down on the docks and, you know, back in the day and you saw the ship coming in and you would just say, Potopos, like, what, from where is this coming? This isn't, this isn't from around here. And this is, this is what John is saying. What kind of love is this? This isn't from around here. It's foreign because its origins are not here on earth, but in heaven. This is the same phrase that the disciples use in Mark uh, chapter 441, when they're on the boat with Jesus and he just shushes a storm, like it's, it's raging, and he just stands up and says, shh, be still. And then it's still, like nature is still. And they say, Potopos, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What kind of man is this that we're dealing with here? He's not from around here. He's not like you, and he's not like me. God doesn't just display his love on a cross for us to admire it and sing about. He lavishes us. He clothes us in it. He overwhelms us. He pours it incessantly from above. You are getting a drink from a waterfall. Is it a bit much? Yes, it is a bit much. That's the kind of love that we're getting. Not a cold cup of water on a hot day. You're drinking from a waterfall. It's ridiculous. Remember, John's saying, we are children of God. This is who we are. Because he made us that way. Not because I did anything. Not because you did anything. In his joy, in his passion, in his faithfulness, in his power, by his love, he's made us his children. We're just happy to be here this morning. Because we're born now, born again into a new family, we will bear family traits, and we will bear family responsibilities. This is a part of the deal. You know that Luca is born of Zach. They have the same head. They have the same ginormous smile and joy for life. It's easy to see. He bears the family traits. We just had Chloe come over to watch our girls and uh, Chloe say, and she came, and she was just a boss, just showed up, ready to work, just do it. And it was like, oh, my gosh, you are born of Kim. You are born of Josh. I mean, your mannerisms, everything. It's like, I trust you. I believe what you say. It's like, whoa, I can see this family of origin showing up, and I'm very excited about it. The, this, is, this is the deal. We've been born again into God's family. We will bear his traits, and we will bear 
our family responsibilities. So this is the test that we finally get to, to see how we're doing. Are you bearing these new family traits? Are you bearing, are you walking in these family responsibilities? And John gives us these three words that I think are helpful indicators to see how we're doing at this. Appearance, practice, abide. We see these three words pop up. Appearance, to appear, it isn't just first talking about like our appearance, like our performance, like how, how are you showing up. First, what John is actually talking about, what he's referring to in the scripture is to Jesus' first appearance and to his second coming. And how that actually changes how we look and act now and appear in our life now. If you can grasp a hold of that, then things will start to look different in your life now. 1 John 3, 2, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You want to grow strong in our new family traits and responsibilities, then you get a firm grasp on Jesus' first coming and his second coming. You hold tight to these realities. Do you remember why Jesus came? Are you living with this inside of you? John tells us, thankfully, he reminds us, 1 John 3, 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. Amen. Yes. What's the other reason? 1 John 3, 8, to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Yes, Lord. Jesus appeared in the flesh to set us free from the bondage of sin. We know this sting. We know this weight. He's come to liberate us. We've experienced this liberation. So why then would we run back into that prison? Why would you, a free man and a free woman, choose slavery again when you've been liberated? Why would you go back to that way? Why would you go back to that taskmaster? Why? The spirit of death that once held you down, your head was underwater, my head was down, I could not get up, there was no power in me to release this grip over my life. The spirit that held me down has now been taken down in Christ Jesus. The cell that you sit in is unlocked. Why then would you not walk in freedom? He came to destroy the works of the devil. Good thing we don't have to deal with those right now, right? Are they completely annihilated? Are they non-existent? No, they're still here, still active, still at work. They aren't fully gone yet because he's not fully here yet. But he has been dethroned. His power has been revoked because the true king has come. The kingdom is at hand. The king is on the throne now. When we remember his first coming, when we live with this in our bones, it helps us walk in the light as he is in the light. When we want to grow and, and firm up our family traits and responsibilities, we fix our eyes on his second coming. He will come again. 
1 John 3, 2, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Did you know that you're destined to look like Jesus? This is your future. This is, everything's headed in this direction because he's pulling it in this direction. This is your destiny. Jesus is coming back for a radiant bride, a bride that doesn't have spot, it doesn't have blemish. This is who he's coming back for. Our future this morning, right now, our future, what we're headed towards is a life without sin. Come on. We will be holy. We're not like, ooh, man, that'd be cool. That's our destiny. That's where we're headed right now if you're walking with Christ. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 1 John 3, 3. So does Christ purify us or do we purify us? Like which one is it? Because one sounds good, one sounds like a lot of work. Does Christ purify us or do we purify us? Yes. The answer is yes. We have a role in this. It's called sanctification. It is a we and a he relationship. This is what's at work. You can see it. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, what? What does he do? Oh, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those who are grasping the promise of his reappearing will change how they appear in life right now. It will alter everything. When we keep our eyes set on the anticipation of his appearing, it fuels our daily devotion right now. When we see clearly our ultimate cleansing and victory is coming, we want to shorten the gap between that. We train ourselves now. We see his kingdom come now we see his will be done now we walk in that with him this is not a foreign concept for us we know that we devote ourselves to something when we anticipate the joy of its coming right like it's raining and it's cold but you know that summer is coming it will be 110 degrees here in the valley this summer and you know that you're going to wear a bathing suit at some point and so what do you do in the meantime well, you start to devote yourself away from those cookies from Christmas and all that fudge. And you start to look forward to what is ahead and what is coming for you. And by golly, I'm going to take a lot of selfies this summer on my vacation. And I don't want the double chin inside of any of those posts. So I'm going to devote myself right now. We went to eat at Rancho Brazil this Christmas. And I knew that it was coming. Do you think I had a big lunch that day? No, I did not. Do you think I had breakfast that day? No, I did not. I knew that the joy of 17 meats were coming my way. So I devoted myself. I prepared myself for the meat sweats to embrace it with all its glory. I started uh, working out at the gym last month. This is not because I can, like, see, like, a six-pack in my future. Just so I'm not going to like, 
busting out of this snap button shirt here. I don't see that in my future. I live in the truth. That's probably not my future. What I do have my eyes set on are three little girls. And I plan to walk with them in as many seasons as God would allow me. Down every aisle. Down every trial. Down every failure. And I will not limp my way, God willing. I will go with a strong stride. I see a joy in front of me. And so I can devote myself now to that. The hope of Jesus appearing again, when we believe it, when we hope in it, it will alter our behavior now. If you truly believe in it, if you truly are hoping in it, this is our future. Before we have a sin problem, we have a hope problem. Where is your hope this morning? What are you hoping in? If we're not hoping in him, if we're not anticipating the joy that comes from holiness, a holy life like he's holy, then we will move in the opposite direction. We will. We will move towards what we believe will bring us the greatest joy now and later. I know you're working hard to fight sin. I am also working hard. But we must keep our eyes on our hope gauge. What are we hoping in? Whatever our hope points towards, that's where we're drifting. That's where we're going to be headed. Are you hoping to be a better you when he shows up? I present myself in all of my glory to you, Lord. What do you think? Is that your hope? I present my Instagram feed to you. I present my 401k. I present to you all that I have prepared for thee, Lord. Or is your hope in, I am clothed in you, Lord. I had no hope on my own, but I stayed with you. I wrapped myself up. I'm now found in you. My hope is in looking like you, not looking like a better me at the end of this. 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, and the devil's been sinning from the beginning. Is John saying that Christians just can't sin or don't sin? And before we just quickly answer this and move on because it's super uncomfortable and because you just want to just get to the next thing, it would be good for us to pause and sit under the Word of God. And not above it. Can you call yourself a Christian if you continue in sin or go on sinning? We let Scripture interpret Scripture. And earlier in this book, John would say that the person who claims to be without sin is actually a liar. And more than that, he's making God out to be a liar. So can a Christian sin? Do we sin? Yes, we do. It is possible to sin, but it is absolutely incongruent with where we're headed. You are headed in the direction of looking and behaving like Jesus. We're headed in the direction of his image. 
So we can and will sin on our way, but you cannot be headed in both directions at the same time. What John is saying is there's a difference between sinning and continuing on in sinning, making a practice of this. Continuing in sin is an agreement language. You've settled on this. This is just who I am. I've been made this way. I'm just a fearful person. I'm just an angry person. I'm just an addict. These are things that we've settled into. This is turkey baloney. That's what that is. You died to yourself when you came alive in Christ. You are a new creation. Don't slap old labels on the new thing that God is birthing in you right now. Some of us have allowed the clarity of our Enneagram numbers to lead us more than we've let the hope of our sanctification of being like Jesus lead us. John is asking, do you make a practice of sinning or do you make a practice of righteousness? What do you devote yourself to? What do you rehearse in your head all day long? What are you practicing? What are you making habits of? Righteousness or sin? Are you growing in sophistication with your sin? Ooh, I know how to do this and work the gauges and do this and that. Or are you growing in sophistication with righteousness? Oh, I know how to forgive and I know how to be generous and I know how to do. What are you geeking out on in your life right now? Christians can sin, but Christians cannot persist in sin. We cannot stomach it. It is incongruent with who we are because it is incongruent with who he is. And we are now in him. Jen Wilkins asks a helpful question here. Are you growing quicker to repent and slower to repeat? Or are you growing slower to repent and quicker to repeat? Would you stand to your feet? Worship team, would you come? As we land on what I think Jesus would want us to fix our gaze on, what I think John is pointing our face towards this morning, is that the answer to sinning is not stopping. Just knock it off. Quit it. Stop. Don't touch it. Don't look at it. That's not the answer that Jesus would tell us or lead us into. It's not what John's saying. He says the answer to sinning is not stopping. It's abiding. You must abide in him. It's not enough to knock it off or cut it out. You've got to abide in him. If you're postured with just staring defensively at the thing that you're not supposed to touch or not supposed to be and all of your energy and effort is going on just swatting away guess what more than likely you're going to end up doing? The thing that you're fixated on. John isn't saying be sin obsessed. Be on guard. Watch out. What he's saying is be Jesus obsessed. Fill up your vision with him. Fill up your life with him. Fill up your mind with him.
You don't go to work without him. You don't go to the bar without him. You don't go to the bathroom without him. You fill up your whole life with him. He's with me. He promised. He said it. He meant it. He's everywhere. He's in everything. You will become what you behold. What are you beholding? What are you filling your mind and your heart up with this morning? Is it what you've done or is it what he's done? Is it what you're planning to do or is it what he's planning to do in your life? Do you have any idea what glory he has in store for you this year? In this day, what he has planned. Put your effort and energy towards being like him, not towards not being like you. Well, I suck, I'm bad. No, he loves you. He, he's, he's wild about you. He came for you. He's come again for you this morning. He's not that irritated that he just stayed in the car and refused to come in with you. Don't fill your vision up with what you should be or what you shouldn't be. Fill up your vision. Turn your face to him. You let him make the call. I want you to just close your eyes and receive this truth this morning. This is what God said would happen if we turned to him. Psalm 34. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Yes. This is the word of yes. the Lord. What you say goes, God. What you say will be. And so we, right now, in this moment, we just adjust our posture. We refuse to gawk at what we've done. We fix our face on you, Jesus. Look what you've done on our behalf, Lord. Look what you've done over death, over sin. Look what you're doing. Look what you're building, Lord. Look at your kingdom coming right now. Jesus, we agree with you this morning. You make us radiant. You help us with our actions. You make the call of our life this morning. You direct our steps today. I think I got a good plan. It's probably a bad plan, Lord. I want to just surrender it to you this morning. What would you say? How would, I, how would you call me to walk right now in this moment? If there's something that's popping up for you, whatever it is, it's just out of alignment. You know it is. Just quickly bring it to the Lord right now.
quickly surrender it to him. Quickly receive forgiveness. Quickly receive realignment. I've been doing this, but that's not, that's not in, like, in line with where we're headed. So I'm dropping that, and I'm going again with you this morning, Lord. We're just going to make some space. We're going to worship. Would you just take just, just a minute? I know there's other things you've got to do today. Would you just take a minute? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to just shine his light into your life? I promise, I promise there's nothing that he's going to uncover that's too big for him. There's nothing that you're going to discover that's going to shock him. There's nothing, that you, there's nothing that you could do that would outdo the love he's prepared for you to pour out this morning.